1: The volume. All right, everybody, uh, this is going to be a long one. Nick Wright and I talk about everything from Elon Musk to travel plans, NBA, NFL, our relationship. It's a long one. But I want to start with a rant, a football rant, presented by Netflix's quarterback. So I was looking at the NFL standings before I came on today. And when you look at the quarterback position in the NFL, we don't have unrealistic expectations for rookie quarterbacks. I think all fans are reasonable that it's hard and you're going to be overwhelmed. Even Joe Burrow overwhelmed early. And there's not a ton of pressure on the people that are at the top of the food chain. Josh Allen, we know what he is. Lamar Jackson just got paid. Uh, Jalen Hurts did. I don't think they're in pressurized situations. And I also don't believe Dak and Kirk Cousins. Again, most people see them as good B-plus quarterbacks. Um, I don't think they face like more than just week-to-week, Sunday-to-Sunday pressure. And as I looked over, perused the standings in the NFL, I thought there was really only two quarterbacks that I felt like there was a lot of pressure on them. And pressure, I would define, as they are viewed by a certain group, perhaps small, as much more talented than their current production is exhibiting. And let me give you an example, Justin Fields. I think he faces real pressure. Because I think people in Chicago and a lot of people in the media think based on highlights, not overall beginning to end game production, that he's a massive talent. And I just think he's talented. But at this point, I think he's a 60-40 hit and a 40-60 failure. Slightly more than 50-50. I think it works. And I think it mostly works because I think he now has two productive receivers, perhaps three with Claypool. Cross your fingers. Two productive tight ends. A middle of the pack, but better than people think O-line. And Luke Getz, he's an excellent OC. Young, smart guy from Green Bay. But I think of all the quarterbacks in the league, people would say, what about Aaron Rodgers? And my takeaway was, they're going to win somewhere between 9 and 12 games. Playoffs or not, he's a Hall of Famer. They'll be better. Everybody gets it. Will they be great? Probably not. But somewhere between 9 and 11, 12 games is where Aaron's going to land. He knows it. The Jets know it. And we all know it. That's not pressure. Justin Fields is different because he shows flashes of brilliance. This is the year that bears ownership and front office and probably coaches make a decision on by Thanksgiving. He's the guy or not. So I feel like Justin Fields faces the most pressure in the NFL as a quarterback. You could name anybody. Jared Goff. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's been paid. We know what he is. A B-plus quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, he's excellent. There's no pressure in Jacksonville. He got to the playoffs last year. But Justin Fields, there is a group of people that think he's a tremendous talent. And whereas Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and Lamar Jackson went from just talented, pivoting to also very good pocket quarterbacks, Justin Fields has not exhibited that yet. And this is the year. And I would say by Thanksgiving, People upstairs will make a decision. The only other quarterback I feel like there's real pressure on is in the same division, Jordan Love. Listen, you replace Aaron Rodgers, there's pressure. This is also a winning organization, pressure. This is also probably the second best after Detroit roster in the division, pressure. Jordan Love's been given a contract that's very team-friendly. So again, because he's been in the building for so many years, I think they'll know by Thanksgiving in the building I had an agent that once said this, Nick Kahn, your bosses will make a decision on your career nine months before they tell you. I think by Thanksgiving, Justin Fields and Jordan Love, both teams upstairs will have made a decision. That's real pressure because in both cases, especially Fields, they're viewed by a small number of fans as being really special talents. And I'm not sure either is, but both will feel that pressure this season. As Netflix's first partnership with the NFL, Quarterback is a new docu-series that takes a unique look at each season told through the lens of NFL quarterbacks. For the first time ever, the NFL allowed quarterbacks to be mic'd for every single game of the season. Three quarterbacks, Cousins, Mahomes, and Mariota give behind-the-scenes access on and off the field. I can't wait to watch this series. Check out the trailer for a first glimpse at what we're gonna see.
2: Netflix is giving you exclusive access to see what it takes to be an NFL quarterback. I'm here all day! See Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota, and Super Bowl champion Patrick Mahomes balance all the pressures that come with the toughest job in sports. Quarterback is more about the mental side. From game day to home life, see these quarterbacks like you've never seen them before. Let's it all together for four quarters! You like that? You like that? Quarterback, only on Netflix, July 12th.
1: All right. I bring in my buddy co-host, First Things First, also host of What's Right with Nick Wright. And we do this about every six weeks. We do about 40, 45 minutes. And this is kind of the slowest time of the year. Um, It was always in our industry that after football, there was about a month. And then you'd kind of move into March Madness, NFL draft, NBA stuff. But it used to be that I look forward to August. But Sean McVay screwed that up by not playing any starters in the NFL and going 8-0. and yeah. 0. So they're really the preseason now is reduced to talking about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. <laughs> I mean, it is amazing yeah. that August used to be a time that I really looked forward. You know, it was post-NBA trade deadline, and it was like, you know, you go take a 10-day vacation, and then you're like, all right. Some of this stuff, last year, Kenny Pickett was my primary topic in August.
3: I Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I'm not saying you weren't great, but it's just – August, because of NBA movement and because every summer there's a KD trade demand or a Dame trade demand and these things that seem to drag on, I think August has replaced July as the deadest time on our calendar. And I was saying this to my wife yesterday. If you go September 1, we're recording this the end of the first week of July, That's 10 months, 10 plus months. I've been off. I've been, you know, on vacation for one week. And now over these next six weeks, I'll be on vacation for two and a half of them. So, you know, 75% of the time off for you, for me, for all of us comes in this very condensed window, kind of post-NBA free agency, pre the start of the NFL season. But one thing that I have found on our show is... Because we were so heavy NBA during the playoffs and free agency that day before yesterday, day before yesterday, we kind of just stumbled into a Bills topic. Today, we just totally ripped off your Belichick could be greater than or Reed could be greater than Belichick topic. Just totally stole it from you. Almost verbatim um, that I am like very excited to be talking football again because you've been talking a lot of football throughout. We We haven't been talking so much. And now I'm kind of over the Dame thing. I know he's going to go to Miami. It's all posturing. There's a really interesting part of the Dame story, which is the assistant GM in Portland does a great job, I'm sure. But his name is Mike Schmitz. He worked at ESPN from 2017 until nine months ago. And now, seemingly, all of the reporting coming out of At you know, that network is along the lines of, oh, you know, Portland has the leverage. Portland's got, you know, Miami's got up the offer. And I do wonder how much of this is, you know, that Mike Schmitz was there and now they're trying to get the best deal possible. But he's going to end up in Miami. I'm kind of over that story and that there's really not much left in the NBA offseason.
1: Yeah, I stumbled. Um, It was the last thing I talked about today for only three minutes is that there's two sorts of like what we would call classic diva wide receivers. There's the guy that is constantly um, difficult but productive, Des Bryant. I mean, they had to hire a security team, really babysitted him as a rookie. And then first year with Dak, he was still highly productive, but got needy. And they just decided, much to the chagrin of Jason Garrett, he told me that. He said, I was fighting for him. He gives me eight, ten touchdowns a year. How do I replace that? And then there's the Stefan Diggs, Randy Moss model, where they're not trouble. They're highly productive. And then some point at like year three, year four, they um, flex. And right. And I said, OK, that's different. Right. There's a lot of companies yep. at the volume. If I knew somebody for three years, I'm getting somebody that's highly productive. Then maybe they flame out or I, that's somebody that's very hireable. Right. Not somebody that's high maintenance day one. So I, I, I said this. The Bills are telling you they're going to get out of the Stephon Diggs market very quickly. They go and get a tight end in round one. Two NFL GMs told me easily the best tight end. So now they have Kincaid and Dawson Knox. They upgrade running back. They yep. immediately sign more. They double down on their defensive front. And what it tells me is yep. they're they're trying to become more run oriented, better up front, ground control, and get out of the Stephon Diggs. And, and I'll argue this. Just like New England did with Moss after two, three very productive years. You could get out today and he's got value. If he blows up again, half this league, three quarters of this league, Nick,
3: GMs are like, no, thank you. They're going to be afraid of it. The, the only, I, listen, the, here's the, the, the digs thing is such a problem for Buffalo for a number of reasons the typical easy fixes for the wide receiver clearly will not fix this because they're not the problem. And by that, I mean, sometimes it's, I want more money. He got the contract right. a year ago. Like they, you know what I mean? The The money has been paid. He It is not a money thing. The other one, if it's not money is usually, I, I want more targets. Over the last couple of years, He's one of the two or three, maybe number one, but most targeted guys in the whole league. So it's like, uh uh-oh, it's not money. It's not targets. How do we fix this? And I have been kind of, I I don't know what the right word is. I have found it unbelievable that Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills set this fire publicly and then – are looking around angry at everyone for watching the Flames. The, the, the timeline of this is day one of Bill's minicamp, evidently Stefan Diggs is there, then leaves before practice. Sean McDermott goes to the media, is asked about Diggs not being there, and says, oh, I'm very concerned. Takes a long pause and goes, very concerned. Well, you, maybe you shouldn't have said that buddy then the next day he's there and mcdermott goes to the media he's like i don't know what everyone's making such a big deal about of this i excused him it's like what you fucking told us you were concerned and then they canceled practice the yeah. next day and then josh allen was on a podcast yeah a couple days ago i forget who it was but one a player runs it and they asked him it was you know one of the It it wasn't one of yours, but it was similar to Richard Sherman's podcast, something like that. I forget who it was on. I apologize. And he was like, yeah, the media won't stop talking about this. And it's like, man, we wouldn't have even known about it. But your coach screwed up there. And then when you add to it that the last image we have of Diggs is him yelling at Josh Allen on the sideline, that seems to be a problem. The only question I would have there is, Colin, why haven't they just signed DeAndre Hopkins to kind of regain control of the situation? Because I do think Gabe Davis might not be a number two. He's certainly not a number one. I do think they need a receiver there if they're worried about digs. Maybe they just think, you know, he's under contract. We're going to be fine. But that to me is a, if you had to right now, and this is something I mentioned to you on TV, you can only choose one of these two doors. The Bills make the Super Bowl. Or the Bills play, miss, miss the, the playoffs. playoffs? I am definitely choosing to miss the playoffs. I'm not picking them to miss the playoffs, but I think they're more likely to miss the playoffs than have an awesome year and make the Super Bowl. I think that's for damn sure.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, it's I, I've been on this for years. Andy Reid moves off Tyreek Hill. Andy Reid has rebuilt an O-line and a receiving core in an offseason. Buffalo can't figure their offensive line out five years in. Either can Tomlin. There's a difference between offensive coaches and defensive coaches. And the classic example is the minute Tyreek Hill got a little needy, moved off him, draft Sky Moore, uh, go, go get Juju Smith-Schuster. Very quick rebuild. The offensive coach seamlessly rebuilds it because that's what they do. They speak the language. McDermott has been trying for five years to create a run game and an offensive line. He still can't do it. Mike Tomlin, five years, still can't do it. So, by the way, um, Sean McVay came to the Rams, one-off season, gets Andrew Whitworth, rebuilt the O-line. It's just the advantage of an offensive coach is they can, in in a highly mobile profession, you've got to be able to be really nimble. Andy Reid's the best. McVay, Shanahan, really good at it. McDermott's not. Pete Carroll has struggled at times with the O line, which rated again last year poorly. Mike Tomlin struggled with it, by the way. Um, uh, Mike Zimmer in in, um, in Minnesota, it was their they, their offensive line. It was a bit of musical chairs. So Minnesota, I, I think I think going forward, the Bengals are the clear threat, and I would say the next threat, and they're not quite there. We saw it twice last year. Is Jacksonville? Now they're just not as good. But they're not there yet.
3: I totally, you know, I you know, I believe that, and I think Jacksonville—they're not there yet. I agree with you, but for the time being, the other edge Jacksonville is going to have in the new only one team gets a bye paradigm—the advantage Jacksonville is going to have when they get there. The fact that it will be so much easier for them in the AFC South. To get to 13 wins then for the Chiefs dealing with the Chargers and the Broncos and the Bengals dealing with the Steelers and the Ravens and anyone in the AFC East when all those teams seem pretty competitive and at this point pretty well run the Jags are going to have that inside track to the best regular season the healthiest regular season I think they have a really good coach. That you know what I mean? They're of all the star quarterbacks. Their guy is the earliest into his career. So they have the longest window before he gets super paid. I, yeah, I think Jacksonville is, they're not there yet. They don't have the personnel, but they also have, you know, multiple top picks on defense. They don't need them all to hit. They just need some of them to start to come into their own. They're a scary team, man. There is seven and two, the final nine weeks of last year, won a playoff game in stirring fashion, played the Chiefs tough. Yeah.
2: Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that?
4: Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka.
2: And I'm Skip Bronson.
4: And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies?
2: You get our way. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two.
4: This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way.
2: Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
1: Uh, so I was going to um, throw this at you and we'll talk some NBA because you're so good at it. But I came up with something today on the show. And again, uh, I didn't think I was really fishing for it. I, I think it, it's sometimes it's very difficult. The draft has a power over us is that we just innately believe it's just in us. If you're a, a top draft pick, we just perceive you as better. But yet Matt Hasselbeck, six round Tony Romo undrafted Kurt Warner undrafted Brady 6th round Mark Brunel, 5th round Dak 4th Cousins 4th um lot of breeze second
3: your guy Russell Wilson third yeah
1: Joe Montana third yeah so yeah. there's three things that make me wonder if brought about every 4th or 5th year you find a guy a quarterback in the weeds late in the draft and you get like four way years to not pay him so I, I laid this out with Brock Purdy. So Iowa State's an average program in an average conference. But they had four straight winning seasons with Purdy, and they have a very good coach who's been up for the um, Nebraska job. Matt Campbell, a very good college yeah. coach. Well-studied, up for a lot of jobs. In a bad conference with a good coach, Brock Purdy leaves. They go 1-8 and eight in conference. Timeout. It's like, whoa. As I've always said... When you arrived, it's not only what you've done at Fox. The station you left is not as good. When Harbaugh left the Niners for Michigan. Michigan got better. The Niners tanked. Yeah. So Iowa State yep. with a good coach plummets. The second thing when you do a deep dive on San Francisco. So he led the NFL. And games started that he didn't get hurt. He was 8-0. He not only led the NFL in passer rating. But for a complex system that took Matt Ryan a second year to figure out, it hasn't worked for Skylar Thompson. It hasn't worked for Trey Lance. It didn't work in the first year for Matt Ryan. The kid walks in as a seventh round last pick rookie and masters it. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wait, we just can't. We're not. We're not. We don't like this. We don't believe seventh rounders can play. Is it possible I mean, I watched him play. He looks.
3: No, no, no. It's it. Listen, it's possible. The flip side to the coin is he was all his biggest limitation already was going to be his arm talent, physical limitations. And now he's coming off major surgery on his throwing arm. And if that was, you know what I mean? If that was a limited arm already, is it now going to be untenable? But listen, the Niners last year you know this, were my pick to go to the Super Bowl from before the year, and that was assuming Trey Lance was going to be the quarterback. That is, you know, our mutual friend Danny Parkins has been hitting this story on, he does a football podcast called First in Pod, and he and Andrew Filipponi have been hitting this story every week and saying that it should be the biggest story in the NFL, which is, The fact that Trey Lance is behind Sam Darnold on this team's depth chart and they spent three first round picks on him (laughs) is one of the craziest damn things we've ever seen. The guy has never gotten a chance to play and evidently he's been so bad in practice. They're like Brock Purdy off elbow surgery and Sam Darnold off the scrap heap ahead of him. Like what? And that he was on the trade market and nobody wanted him. That is a crazy turn of events Um, for the Niners. So the Niners, I, I believe with, Above average quarterback play, they should be the class of the NFC. Last year, they had average quarterback play, and they looked to be the best team. Here's I I would spin that question slightly different way. Let's just say this: that the Niners don't have it this year either, because Purdy the elbow's not all the way there. That if we, I gotta I guess back up a bit. I feel like ninety eight percent of the people in our industry. Are going to, when it comes, pick the Super Bowl time, gonna have coming out of the NFC, the Eagles or the Niners. Right. I think those are gonna be, almost everyone's gonna pick one of those two. The question I have is this if it's not one of those two, who is great? It? Point. Because, because I don't think, I think the Eagles are good. I also think it's in play that the best year of Jalen Hurts' entire career is the one we just saw. Yeah. That they, you know what I mean? That the Super Bowl hangover, the Tupper Super Bowl, great quarterbacks. Shane Steichen. Shane St- both their coordinators left. And even if they don't think they're going to miss Gannon, still, you know, good quarterbacks carved them up last year. I think the Eagles could, you know, all, it's hard to go to back to back Super Bowls. So if the Eagles aren't there and the Niners quarterback situation is, you know, as in flux as anyone, who the fuck is winning the <laughs> NFC? You just go through it. Like I, I was talking before the show today. And I was like, I'm gonna instantly regret it and hate myself for it. But I think, like, I might believe in the Cowboys this year. Like, the I mean, we go go to the the NFC West. The Cardinals are not trying. The Rams, I think they're going to be terrible. You think they could be okay, but they're not. Yeah, you know, I don't. They're not a Super Bowl team. The Seahawks are. are we going to get that from Geno again? And then there's the Niners, like we said. No one in the NFC South. I'm sorry, Saints fans. You're not a Super Bowl team with Dennis Allen. Okay. The NFC North, is it Kirk Cousins? Is it Jared Goff? We're going to put Jared Goff there? And then we're to the NFC East. Like, who is – if it's not – then, and maybe that means it will be the Niners-Eagles again. But it's usually not that chalky. You know what I mean? It's usually not quite that simple. So, I don't know.
1: No, I think – you know, Dallas is – Dallas is one of those teams where I've always had the same opinion for 25 years. And my opinion on Dallas for 25 years is they'll be pretty good. Um, I mean, there's such a disparity in the AFC and NFC that now networks. Remember last year and the year before? Yeah. We're like, we were having to give... For years and years, we had to give the AFC occasional games like CBS because yep. now it's the opposite. Like we're dying sure. for a Bengals game, and no, I, I think I think it's the weakest the NFC's ever been. I don't trust Detroit.
3: Um, I don't trust Detroit. I don't. I want to believe in Seattle. I like Geno's story. I like Pete Carroll. Seattle's not going to win three playoff games. It's just you know what I mean. So like. Again, maybe that means it is the Niners and the Eagles. But if it's not one of them, God, that's a hard. It's hard to find. It's not Daniel Jones and the Giants. It's just not. I, yeah. you know, what I like. I just and but then I, so I'm going to end up. I can just see it. I'm going to end up picking the Cowboys, and then I'm going to be watching a divisional round playoff game. And Mike McCarthy's <laughs> going to have that ghost look on his face, <laughs> watching the clock tick down. I'm going to say, "What did I do?" <laughs> and I'm going to go bankrupt. <laughs> What did I do here? But I, it's a it, it, and conversely in the AFC, obviously the Chiefs are the deserved favorite, but there are seven teams yeah. you could credibly make a case for. Yep. You could credibly make a case for the Dolphins, the Bills. I don't believe in the Jets the way some people do, but you could make a case for them. The Bengals, the Ravens cases, Lamar's healthy all year. You know what I mean? We already said the Jags. The Chiefs, the Chargers, that's eight teams you could make a case for. So it's a it's very odd the the imbalance of power right now.
1: All right. Before we pivot to NBA, a social media question. Good. Uh, the user experience at Twitter has gone in uh, to the tank. Uh, I I said when Elon Musk took it over, I said, I'm not going to uh, I'm just going to watch it and see what happens. Very quickly, it got annoying. Uh, then v- violent, um, violent videos. Now I'm constantly muting them ads. I'm constantly muting them. Uh, it the user experience is uh, more toxic than it's ever been. And I don't think um, I don't think Elon, he's obviously a, a bright guy. He's a creative, but I also think he's distracted Um threads now gets um, unveiled and uh, I went on it. My staff put me on it. I find it irritating. When you look as a young broadcaster coming up, you've been very, um, I think you've used been very dynamic on your Twitter uh, spaces to, um, you know, engage with people. Um, I find um, the Elon Musk, Twitter experience and I try to be fair about it, uh, just increasingly a poor experience. So I'm not on it at all. Where are you where 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 are you as a younger person on social media today?
3: So I there's a bunch of social media stuff I'd actually like to talk to you about. So for me, I and it was one of it was kind of a sad choice I made, but that I felt I needed to do it or it was good for me to do it because I do miss out on some interactions. I miss out on maybe some ideas I wouldn't otherwise have thought of. Um, But I, four years ago, five years ago, around the time I started to have a real national profile, just said, I am never, I shouldn't say never, I am almost never looking at my mentions i am not engaging in it whatsoever except for if people don't know back when the back when twitter was you know pre-musk if you were verified you had a separate mentions tab that would only show you tweets from other verified people and so what that would mean is I would, if any athletes, if any other journalists, if any other broadcasters were engaging with what I was saying positively or negatively, I would see it. But, and that maybe people can going to say that's elitist. I'm not listening, but it was, it was, it would, it, would, it was too toxic of just you, you. I don't care how kind of, you know what I mean? Above it, you claim to be. If, if you have, thousands of strangers saying, basically, you suck, it's going to get in your head somehow. And the flip side is, if you have thousands of strangers saying you're the greatest, it's going to get in your head somehow. And the things that, and that you talked to Ethan Strauss about this, the things that get the most applause on social media are not necessarily representative of the things that are what I what I use social media for, which is a professional vehicle. You know what I mean? And so I stopped looking at my mention. So like I to this day, I just yesterday at the Yankee game, some guy came up to me, was like, man, I don't know why so many people effing hate you. I think you're great. And it was like nice of him. But I also like I was thinking I was like, honestly, I'm. I'm blissfully unaware these days of right. how many people hate me because you gotta find you. You better see me in person and tell me. Um, and I have seen so. That's a very long even, and it's not even a full answer. The reason I mentioned it: Musk ripping off that verified tab yeah. to mean anything was to me very damaging on my ability to engage with anyone yeah, on Twitter. Very damaging. Uh, and. So that to me was, that's a shame. Now then you have like, Hey, sign up for blue sky. I got an invite code and then it's like, sign up for spill. And then yesterday it was threads and I'm all probably be a begrudging late adopter, but I don't know, man, I got 600,000 followers on Twitter. I also am blessed to have, a platform outside of social media where if you want to see what I have to say. Like I'm on television every day. I do yeah. a podcast. I don't, I don't need. I It's not my only outlet. Why do you think you and I are some of the few that aren't like regularly arguing with folks on the internet about random bullshit and letting that drain drain us. The way I think a lot of I think a lot of folks have, and I think it's been hard for them.
1: Yeah, I just I just don't spend a lot of time on social. Um, uh, I go long stretches, like Friday after shows. A lot of times, I'll just tell my social guy, "You can run it over the weekend," and I'll tweet something funny occasionally. But I just I feel a certain responsibility to be available to my wife, my kids, my business partners. I just don't have time for it. Um, and and again. I, I kind of take it as a badge of honor. Um, everybody hates Elon Musk. Everybody hates Biden. Uh, I, I I told my wife this once about Barack Obama. I'm like, this beautiful family. People were outraged he wore a tan suit. It's like, there's just people that are just, just want a bitch. And it's like, okay, I'm so lucky to have my life. So grateful that I have a beautiful wife and all my kids are healthy. Um, you know, I just, I, 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 I think all of it, it's just, it's a circus.
3: Speaking of, speaking of your life, are you, are you moving again? I'm looking at your background. It looks like you might, it's not a, I don't what uh, the. So
1: I sold this, I sold this, uh, my wife and I sold it.
3: Um, I knew it. You hadn't even told me. I am the whole Colin Coward real estate flipper. You're always doing it. It's unbelievable. You just moved in there. Two years ago oh that's great but that's like one of your wife's favorite things right
1: no we have a we have a you know we have a good business so. real
3: estate that's what i'm saying but one of her favorite things is doing real estate stuff and that's like you know one of her i know she's an artist and that's her real yeah. trade but like that's one of the things so wait can i i don't you don't have to reveal it on there are you moving far from where you are
1: um i am at a point where i don't need to own anything in los angeles Um, I'm going to have rent a really nice place. Um, Oh, dope. Yeah. By the beach. That's great. And just be able to leave at any time. Turnkey. Don't have to worry about yard and and, and security. That's awesome. So I just want to be, as I've aged, I just want to be nimble. Um, And that's what I am. I've got a ranch in Utah. That's good.
3: Uh, I just saw the the background. I was like, I bet Colin is, is in the process of selling this house. I just knew it. Because when I was there, you had re- the first time I was there, you had recently moved in. And even when you had first moved in, you said you were like, yeah, you know, we'll probably sell this for X percent more than we bought it for. We got a good deal. And I was like, this guy's always making moves, always doing stuff. Me- meanwhile, I've lived in New York City for seven years, haven't owned anything. Just rent. Just rent every time.
1: I don't think renting's a bad thing. I mean, I've been I've had 26 homes uh, bought, sold, uh, you know, in my life and um, made a profit in 24. I enjoy it. Um, I'm I'm very uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to move. Uh, I've moved. I've lived in all four corners of the country
3: when you're done working. Which I know you can't even contemplate, but when you yeah. are actually done, totally done, so it, it, business has nothing to do with it. What part of the country do you think you'd want to, if you lived somewhere?
1: Um, I can see myself always having, um, you know, a, 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 a somewhere, somewhere in California by the water.
3: Oh, okay. So well, I thought you might say Utah.
1: Um, um, I thought. The- yeah, we my wife and I have a ranch in Utah. It's beautiful. Love it. Um, we're about three months from. Um, it, it takes us about a year to 15 months to. We buy stuff. We fix it up immediately. So it's always. You could always move it if you had to. Um, that means a lot to us. It's where our kids spend Christmas. Summer vacation. Fourth of July. And so. You know, we pretty much own it free and clear. So it, that, that could stay in the family forever. I I would guess I would have something in California. Um, I've got a little I've got a beachfront place, a little condo. that's adorable. My wife, uh, during the hurricane, she found something, remodeled it in Naples, Florida. Great, in Florida. Great walks on the beach. But I'll tell you a place, a part of the country that I'm really um, I absolutely love. And it's the northeast. It's in that Rhode Island. Um, I um I, I just people like, love Nantucket. Rhode Island, bro. I love people Rhode Island. love it. So I Rhode Island um, is near and dear to my heart. I have very good friends. Uh, I used to go there every summer with my kids. Um, Rhode Island beaches are amazing. So I love Rhode Island. I've been to the Hamptons, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket a lot. Uh, Stonington. Um, I've been to all these places out east, um, and I I will spend. I would guess, and I'm just throwing this out there. I'll spend my summers in the Northeast, somewhere in that area near the water, and then I'll spend my winters probably in California near the water, in a t-shirt, flip flops, jeans, and but
3: yeah. I mean, you don't you barely wear shoes as is. You're not retired. You only no. wear shoes when you're at work
1: so i you know i grew up on a cold water beach in washington state but there is something to the breeze and the sound of the water that to me is a little addictive so that's how i'll wrap it up. oh
3: it's the greatest no it's no it's it's the greatest uh sorry i didn't mean to sidetrack you there i was just i find it I, I, i find it fascinating
2: good song the johnny carson theme right hey who wrote that
4: skip who do you think it's your buddy hi everyone
2: tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
0: imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions i'm minnie driver
1: So let's do let's do one NBA topic. Sure. So I said this and I thought today it was my lead. I said um, you see a lot of teams in the NBA panic and I thought the Knicks passing on Paul George was the greatest Knicks sign I've seen in years. They would have made that move 10 years ago and 5 years ago. They panicked on Mello. They could have waited until the end of the year. They traded for him in season and they gave, you know, Mello ended up being a 10 million dollar chandelier in an empty house. And then yep. Amari Stoudemire. Everybody in the league knew bad knees. Sons were trying to get rid of him. They, you know, that was New York. Yep. Paul George is a top 6 two-way player arguably in the league. The Clippers would move off him and the Knicks are like, we like him. We're not going to do the deal right now. And I thought, because I think the Knicks between Brunson, Randall, 11 first round picks in seven years and multiple movable players like, you know, like Josh Hart. um, Yep. I think they're one smart move. I think they're a good team. I think they're one smart move from being a very good team. And I think a very good team could win the East next year.
3: So all, all up the ante on you on good signs for the Knicks. I'd say this is also a good sign. They're not in the Dame sweepstakes. Because that the old Knicks would be. Because, yep. you know, Portland is dying for a competitive competing offer for Miami. The Knicks have the draft capital. They have R.J. Barrett, who Portland would like. Young player, a wing, not a guard. But the Knicks, I think, are correctly assessing. We already have a small guard. He's 33 and going to be super expensive. And the Knicks want to keep their assets available for if the Harden thing goes wrong in not for Harden. If the Harden thing goes wrong in Philly and Embiid wants out, CAA, all those connections. And, you know, my pal Brian Windhorst said 10 weeks ago, and it was, I, you know, I don't know how many people picked up on it, but when the Knicks were in the playoffs against the Heat in round two, Wendy said, the New York Knicks are 95% focused on Miami right now and 5% focused on the future of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And with the Bucks, Giannis, they can offer Giannis a contract extension in September. He almost assuredly will not sign it because there's no incentive for him to sign it. He has 2 years left on his deal. The Bucs are a very old team that is going for it right now as they should. But Brooke Lopez just signed a two-year deal. Drew Holiday has talked about wanting to retire when this contract's over. Chris Middleton they just brought back probably on a slight overpay, but because they want to keep it all together. The fact that no matter how this year goes for Milwaukee, it could it could be Giannis' last year there, or if it's not, he's a free agent in two. Yeah. I think the the Knicks smartly understand adding Paul George is an improvement if he's healthy, but it doesn't get us over the top. Adding Dame would not get us over the top. Adding Embiid or certainly adding Giannis. Or I'll throw one more name out there. You know, if Kyrie burns the building down enough in Dallas, Luka could want to get out of there. You know what I mean? I think they are trying to stay, and it's like we already have Jalen Brunson. The Mavs had this and did, you know, didn't keep it together. I think that would be smart because Jalen Brunson is better than I thought he was. Yeah, but if he's your best player, you can't win a title. Right. Impossible. If he's your second best player, if the team is built out properly, and your best player is a superstar, well, we already saw it. Was the team wasn't even built out that well? They made a team with they made the Western Conference Finals with him being the second best guy with Luca. So I agree with you. I think the Knicks staying out of Paul George, staying out of the Dame stuff is smart. I also think when Dame goes to Miami, I think they become for next year the clear cut favorites in the East. Yes, I think Dame, Jimmy Butler, and Bam fit together so perfectly. And cover up each other's weaknesses so well. I think they're the clear-cut favorites in the East, and then we'll see what happens out West.
1: Well, I mean, listen—you've watched them get rid of Vincent and Struess. I mean, you can see what they're doing. And and the other thing that tells you that Portland and Miami are talking is how many leaks there are from both teams. So basically, they're sending the messages out. Like Portland continues to say and leak, we will not. We're not interested in Tyler, Tyler Hero.
3: Right. Trade him somewhere else and get assets. Yeah.
1: So the the Portland is giving their fans and their side of the story. You got to give us more than Tyler hero and picks and, you know, Miami, all these moves is telling you they're just clearing space. They're getting ready for him. So I think he's going to end up in Miami. And the truth is, you know, it's when you were a young broadcaster and you were ten years into your career and you're young or a dame is eleven years in the NBA, I think there's a certain level of courage to it, but I I do think everybody at some point in their professional career um, needs to give themselves the best opportunity to succeed, right? Yeah. I think I think Dame's earn the right to be on TV in late May. He's earned
3: the right. Hundred percent. Right. Hundred percent. And, we, and the, you know. that the other thing about the Dame thing this is not current Blazers front office fault but you have a decade of Damian Lillard and you trade first round picks for Robert Covington you you stick you stick with CJ too long and then don't get the right package for him you you treat Nurkic like he's the answer you trade you made a lot they, that the previous front office regimes made a lot of mistakes. Now, maybe had they done everything right, maybe they don't win. I don't know. But he was, it wasn't LeBron with the Cavs the first time around level of front office incompetence, but it was pretty damn bad to have between the time LaMarcus Aldridge left and right now that his best teammate was simply a worse version of him in C.J. McCollum is a terrible job. That's yeah. You know what I mean? That's a terrible job. And that's one of the reasons the Dame thing to me is different than a lot of these other trade demands, trade requests is. He was as patient as anyone could have asked. He held up his end as well as anyone could have expected, if not better. He's coming off the area average, 32 points per game. And Portland just didn't. It, it's not, he wasn't the guy. It's like, ah, I don't want to be in the small market. I don't want to be, he didn't have the wandering eye the moment he got there, the way people felt with Zion in New Orleans or AD in New Orleans. No, he wanted to stay there and wanted to be there and they blew it. And now, so I, you know, I hope he goes to Miami. I think it'll be a great fit and I think they can win the damn title. Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, Bam and Dame, that team can win the damn title.
1: By the way when you retire though it's a long way off what will where will you go
3: It's very interesting so i cuz i kind of have a two track mind on this one is so i'm 38 i uh my my what i tell my wife is in 10 years my daughter my youngest daughter will be going to college uh at that point if i don't have enough if i haven't put away enough money to be have the choice to retire to where everything our whole life's paid for i'm about to be 50 then i have screwed up then my goal between now and when my youngest goes to college, he is making enough money, putting enough money away that if I want to be like, I'm done. I'm allowed to be. You know what I mean. I'm, I can be done. Now my wife tells me I'll never be done. She thinks I'll never. You know, certainly not at 48 or 49. She might be right. I don't know. Um, but under that circumstance, what if I were done and I was still young? I would do one of two things. I would either go to law school, um, or I would travel around and play in poker tournaments, which yeah. are two very different things, but not that different in that I would need to do something that was intellectually challenged. And I might, you know, I've I've played around with the idea of going to law school. Now, like night class, like what if I if I took two classes a semester now, it's going to what I could maybe be done in six years. You know what I mean? And then just have that done. Uh And maybe I would do that. Maybe I will do that. I'm not sure. I also think it's kind of bullshit that I have to go to law school. I feel like I should be able to take the bar. And if I pass it, just good job. <laughs> like let me study for the bar and take the bar. And then if someone wants right. to hire me, fine. But best I can tell, that's only legal in Louisiana. And I'm not even sure if it's legal in Louisiana anymore. A lot of if things are only illegal. To- a
1: lot of things are only, only legal. legal
3: in exactly yeah. right. So I don't know if that so that's not a thing, I don't think. Um my wife, you know, my wife has this store in New York City, you know it, yeah. Trentage. That's where we do yeah. the podcast. She wants to open one in Vegas. Uh, and she, you know, she says she'd be open to living in Vegas. I I think Vegas full time is tough. I think the Vegas summers are tough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah. especially with the way the climate's going. Um, I loved Southern California. I loved it. But I was there without my family. You know, that's when I was commuting, Houston to LA. Um, I know where I won't live. I wouldn't I wouldn't live in Texas again with no disrespect to the wonderful people. You know, my friends there or whatever. I couldn't do that again. Um, And I don't think I'll live in New York City forever. I love it here. And I oddly love Broadway. I really love it. Um, And the restaurants are as good as everybody says. But I am at my heart. I am a Midwestern kid. And I miss having a yard. I just miss it. Sure. I miss being able to go, you know what I mean? Put my feet in the grass in a yard and I've lived in Harlem for seven years now. So like, I, I don't think I, and I think New York city would be a hard place to be old. I, obviously that sounds dumb because there's a lot of old people here. There's 15 million people, but just yeah. because of the walking and the subway and the weather, it's just, I think it would be hard to be an old person in the city. So, I think the answer is probably uh LA. I think that my my you know my youngest my my youngest my middle daughter is going to I don't know if I told you this. She's going to University of California Santa Cruz. So she's yeah. going to be in northern California. My son is, you know, works on the fo- at Fox on the lot. Yeah. Uh and so he's in LA. Uh, so I that's probably where I'd be. But if I'm if I am done before I'm 50, then it might I might dictate it by what my wife's career is doing. But I also probably won't be done. I'll probably just, you know, just do this for a very long time. I just don't know. I don't know. You got your I think you would have not gotten tired of talking about sports, but I think you needed another huge challenge yeah and that's one of the reasons the volume exists yeah was because like i don't i think you're i know how hard you work every day on your show but you've mastered that to a degree where it wasn't it's not like your show's hard to do it is a lot of work but it's not intellectually difficult for you you know what to do so you created a new mountain to climb um I don't know what I would do because I'm not a businessman. I'm not an entrepreneur. I am a gambler. uh, But that's also, you know, I talked about putting away enough money to retire by 50. That's also a way to lose that money. So I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I, uh, you know, we're coming up. I got 28 more shows and it will be 1,500 episodes of First Things First, 1,500 episodes of the tv show and i was thinking about it the other day i was like what sports tv shows have been going on without you know uninterrupted longer than mine and it's yours undisputed pti around the horn first take and i think that's the list
1: you know what's interesting you just Jarred a memory for me, you know, how earlier you were saying that um, Twitter sometimes can be uh, discouraging. This is a prime example of what Twitter is. So. One of the reasons I put filters in, I didn't mind being criticized on social. It bothered me when people criticized people at the volume. I didn't like that. Oh, yeah. Or like you. And so when you announced FS1 announced and you announced my show's moving from the morning to after Colin's show. That day I went on to see how people would react to you. Of 100 tweets, 99 thought it would fail and it was a terrible idea. The show is the fastest growing show in sports cable. And you and I both knew that it was the right move for the show. You and I privately didn't discuss it. But what is happening to your show, I largely predicted you're going to get a stable number. You and I, our personalities are same. we're friends. So you and I knew it was going to work. The company knew it yep. was going to work. Twitter. Yep. Abject failure. The,
3: the,
1: 100%. As a boss, as a very smart person in my industry once said, Twitter is wrong about everything.
3: <laughs> everything. But so, but, and here's the thing. I, you know the most not all but most television shows end by being canceled again not all. Right. some some people it's just like hey this is a great run we're done whatever it is but like the most successful version of our and i didn't include inside the nba or any of those shows but i'm talking you know what i'm talking about the daily yeah. sports talk shows um you know pti is the longest running and most successful right yeah uh one day That show, you know, could get canceled. Who knows? If that were to happen, there would be an article written or certainly people, you know, takes given about it failing. It's like, well, it ran for 28 years and had a documentary (laughs) made about it. Like, I don't think that. So, I mean, the fact that this thing and we've had different iterations of it, But I've been there from day one. And at this point, I'm the only one that's been there from day one. We are a pro, again, right before football, we will hit 1,500 episodes. It's pretty unbelievable. Made it through a pandemic, doing shows from our home. And now, you know, the me, Wilds, and Brew have really hit a rhythm where the show is fun and the show is consistently good. And this show, I could do... I feel like I could do it as you know. However, however, as long as they let me, and you and I did talk about the fact that the having your show lead, you know, the your show and my show be a block on the network. That that was, if that didn't work, then one of us like something's wrong. And what has happened is, like you said, and I don't ever. I don't understand why people in our business publicize how much money they make. And I don't understand why people, you know, try, you know, to tout ratings regularly. I'm not saying occasionally sending out a thank you, whatever. I just feel like you are just putting a target on your back, especially the salaries thing. I don't get it. I'm like, you get the ego boost of it being written about and your friends from high school, seeing it. The downside is, it almost assuredly alienates co-workers. It puts a huge target on your back. It's just insane. Um, so I don't talk about either. Um, but what I will say, because you referenced it and it's true, is it is crazy, Colin, that in a time of cable contracting and cord cutting and all of it, your show and my show aren't up small percentages. They're up Massive jumps to where you're and we're having some of our best months ever, you know, in a time when that's not true for really anybody. And I think, you know, I think it's a testament to the network. Uh, and I think it's a testament to what you and I right now. And again, is if, if you're listening to this an hour and five minutes in, you like Colin and I both. So I apologize for the self congratulatory nature of it, but um, you and I now are both. Doing the exact show we want to do. Yeah. And the fact that that is working is so gratifying. You know what I mean? Like, just like, let me do the exact show I want to do. And if it doesn't work, then, hey, I was wrong or whatever. But at least, you know what I mean? Let's do it. And we are. And your shows, as you know, as good as it has ever been. And my show is different, so different. I used to be on at six thirty in the morning, bald headed, scowling, yelling at people, and now I'm bringing out goddamn trumpeters, laughing. You know what I mean, and talking about the prince that was promised. The show has changed, but it's fun and it's good. And yeah, so in that regard, I'll do it for I'll do it for a long time.
1: Uh, there, Oprah Winfrey once told Jim Gray, the sports guy, who told me about a month ago, he said um, Jim came up and it was very complimentary of the show, and I, I said, "How are things?" and he said. Uh, he said, how long are you going to do that for? And I said, oh, I like it. I, I, I just, I really enjoy Jason. I enjoy my coworkers. And he said, Oprah once told me, if you talk for a living, keep talking for a living. It's the easiest job ever. Yeah. Never <laughs> <Can> stop <I? laughs> talking.
3: Before, before we're done, can I tell you a quick Jim Gray story? Sure. At the Super Bowl, we're in the hotel we're staying at, and Jim Gray comes in. Uh, And I'm sitting there with some colleagues and I saw him and I introduced myself, called Mr. Gray, Mr. Gray, Nick, Wright, You know, massive respect. And he's like, he's like, oh, I know you, Nick. And I was like, okay, sure, thanks. But, you know, and so we're but then he just engages us and starts telling stories and talking. We're going back and forth. And so I somehow, you know, I asked him, you know, you know, why are you still working? Why do you still, you know, do what you, cause he was about to go somewhere at work and he didn't tell that anecdote or whatever, but he, he just, you know, gave a good, nice answer. And then he was like, you know, I'll ask you, he was like, why do you do this? And I had just talked about, I had, I basically started to relay a story regarding Tom Brady that I had just done on my podcast. And Jim fucking gray stops me mid story. I was like, oh, you told this story last week on what's right. And I almost passed out, bro. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, first of all, I'm also scanning in my brain. I'm like, at any point on what's right, did I ever take a shot at Jim Gray? Because that (laughs) show with Tom Brady was not like "Eh." but I was like, I was like, I never said anything bad. Did I? But the fact that I was like, that was such a cool moment for me. I'm like, this guy who was, you know, that has been the Forrest Gump almost of so many sports moments, iconic yeah. sports moments throughout all of history, at some point was riding in his car, listening to the podcast that I do with my children for my wife's store. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Uh, and he was so nice. He was so nice and so cool. I'd never met him before that day. Uh but that's a legend. That's a legend in the business.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I one of the things that I've always appreciated about Brady is, um, you know, his gratitude. He gets emotional now when you talk about, you know, his football career. And I think there's so many people in America that um, work really hard and don't love their job that I every day I drive to work in a good mood. I, you know, I'm just thinking I'm going to talk sports. So I uh, I try to convey that to the audience that they have a right to criticize me because I'm not always good. But I think I'm. I feel very, very fortunate. I, You know, I grew up in a small town. Divorced parents didn't have a lot. So I feel happy as hell. Tonight's Ann's not here tonight. So it's I'm, I'm currently taping this at 5-11. And I've got to be honest with you. I may just go. I may go out and have a cocktail and a steak tonight by myself. That's weird.
3: That is when I lived in L.A. Can I tell you a great spot? It's not like a, a hole in the wall restaurant, but a great Alone cocktail steak spot, the the Del Frisco's Grill, which is like the quicker Del Frisco's, but they have the full menu on the sand right right on by the Santa Monica Pier. They have an outdoor seating area. It's only like four seats, instead it's at a high top, and it is facing the pier. And I used to go there twice a week. When I live by myself out there by myself, put on a podcast, order a $70 steak (laughs) uh, and a side of spinach and just sit there silently listening to something, watching people walk the pier. This was when I was living out there was right. When do you remember when Pokemon go? Became super popular, and everyone was. It was the game on your phone, but you had to go like find Pokemon in the real world. But it was like, yeah, it is, but it was, it was people like, it was just hordes of people, a lot of whom playing Pokemon Go and walking on the Santa Monica Pier and the beaches there. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I understand like a hundred bucks for a one person dinner by themselves is kind of silly, but also no way I could possibly enjoy 90 minutes more. No, I'm just sitting here, like in the corner, outdoors, the ocean breeze, having a great steak, having a drink. That I I, str- I can't recommend it strongly enough. Listen, I'm Love
1: I'm it. pretty I'm pretty frugal. The one thing I spend money on is cocktails and food. It, I tell my kids this all the time: education and experiences. I don't look at the check. Like I'm going to educate my kids. I'm going to have good experiences. I, I was telling somebody this recently. There's no place in America that gets more criticized, but is greater to live than California. I mean, no, we just lost Scott Bayo, which is a great loss to the it state economically.
3: Devastating.
1: Yeah. Devastating. But um, we have Mediterranean weather. We have no humidity. We don't get really lightning. We don't get hail. We don't get winter. Um, I guess we get earthquakes. I've never lived through one. Um, we have homeless, which major cities have, but I think Mayor Karen Bass has actually done a very solid job on that. It doesn't feel um, quite as intense as it was uh, before Karen Bass took over, the new mayor. Um, our crime is overstated. If you look at crime, all stats, the
3: crime is overstated. It's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the the there are the L.A. You know what is one of the safest places, big cities in the world. New York City. No one believes you, but it's yeah. true. It's now like where I'm from, Kansas City, wildly Kansas City more dangerous than Chicago. You know what I mean? Like the the cities that the crime st- the crime stats that you, people get banged over the head on because people don't understand that you have to do everything per, per capita. You can't be like, Well, there were this many murders. Well, are there 12 million people there or 1.2 million? Because it matters. Right. And the listen. You said the ho- homelessness that I this is you know a separate discussion for a separate day. I I think you know it is a blight on the American consciousness that we are seemingly just opting in to every major city having a good percentage of its population being homeless. That we've just like ah housing's unaffordable and we're not going to give people mental health care and we're not going to give people adequate drug treatment. So there's just going to be people on the street. But those people, in my opinion, should be angry at those three things. Instead, they will—they're willfully blind to the causes of it, and then just fucking angry that the people exist. They're like, what what, what, "What? what you put these people somewhere?" It's like, well, there's nowhere for anyone to go, and no one can afford a house. So that's not an indictment on any of these cities, in my opinion. That that, and I understand. I was in LA, and I saw there was like a camp. But if yeah. you if you don't have affordable housing, and you don't have healthcare or drug treatment, people are going to have to be somewhere. Um, so, I if P, if LA sucked and New York sucked, it's not cheap to live in either place. There wouldn't right. be millions of people here. People love it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of... I understand they're like, oh my God, it's so cheap and I'm not trying to be an elitist again. I'm from Missouri. They're like, oh, the cost of living in South Dakota is cheap. Land's available. You can go. Like, people seem to like California quite a bit listen, for a lot listen, of reasons.
1: I... Love Chicago. I never feel unsafe. My wife and I go regularly. It's my favorite big city in the country. LA is too. I like New York, but Chicago's kind of a cleaner version, easier to navigate. Um, I love big cities. Not all of them, but I don't love all small towns. I tend to be just my, I like to be by the beach in the mountains or a city. Right, yeah. and that's you. You think to yourself, 100%. "Well, that's everywhere," but it's not. I, I like to be. I, I like the mountains because I love to ski and I like to hike. Uh, yeah. I like the water because I like the breeze and I grew up with it. And I like cities. Um, and so, a lot of the country, flat, without water or mountains, is just not appealing to me. That's nothing against the place. Right. I've, that's I've why spent... you've
3: never been to Kansas City. It's the only big city <laughs> in the world you've never been to. It. That's <laughs> so, why. <laughs> so, but flat and I, no mountains.
1: I, no city or state gets criticized by los angeles like los angeles and i think some of it is we tend to lean more left on the rest of the country another thing is it's a lot of beautiful people but if the entertainment business was in cleveland there'd be more beautiful people in cleveland it is part of what our economy is based on and the other thing is people hate what they don't have or they're threatened by and the truth is it's the biggest economy in the country Um, we've got better weather than everybody else we're not perfect. Our traffic is hard. Taxes like they are in New York and Chicago. These major municipalities. It's very expensive. You've got, you know, education budgets, road budgets like they're expensive cities. But I do think it's interesting. People often get very defensive in America. If I went on the air and ripped Kansas City, it would make the newspapers. It would trend yes. Yeah. People. In Arkansas and Alabama, ripped California, and nobody cares here.
3: Well, so this is, and then we can we can go because now we're gonna. I'm gonna start because I can't help myself, wading into politics. It. I find it. I'm not actually offended, but I find it offensive that because I people know I lean pretty far left, and I hate that. Democrats have just decided we are going to allow the other side to call giant swaths of our country not real America. Because if it was you, you hear some conservative politicians talk about these major cities with millions of people and say, "Huh, you know, I was in L.A., or I was in New York. It's nice to be back in real America. It's nice to be back with real Americans. When can you imagine? Can you imagine if someone running for a national office that was a Democrat was like, "Man, I was just in Biloxi, Mississippi," and let me tell you, it's nice to be back to a civilization as opposed to <laughs> that hellhole. I was. In. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. "It's nice to be back with real Americans here," as opposed to that. But it wouldn't allow it. I. There is. The, the you are 100 percent correct that it has just become commonplace to just be like San Francisco, L.A., New York sucks. Don't know why anyone live there. Oddly, it's wildly expensive, way densely populated people. You put a house up for a sale and you get three over three percent over asking the first day. I don't know what's going on there, but I that stuff frustrates me, man. And it really frustrates me because. They act like any of these places, every place you go to is the most it is as far as like political affiliation is like 6535. There is no place in the you're going to find in the country that's 9010 or anything like that. Everything is people, you know, Republicans and Democrats, gay and straight, black and white, everybody mixed together. And yeah, I don't like the way people take shots at Chicago and New York and they're major cities. Listen, anywhere where you have major cities and a lot of people and a lot of industry and a lot of money, you're going to have the good and the bad that comes with it. That's just how the world works.
1: Chicago, excuse my language, is a great fucking time. My wife and I eat, party, friends, up all night. I have never had a bad night in Chicago. It is so much fun. You know what's not fun? 10 o'clock crickets. Chicago is a late night, big city, broad shoulders, water, noise. I mean, they're my favorite uh, bar. Remember the one I gave you? You were going to Chicago and I told your wife. "Did Did you go?
3: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I went. I forgot to tell you. I went to a different place as well. And at the end of the meal. It might have been the place you told me at the end of the meal. The waitress said to me, she was like, I didn't want to bother you until everything was done. She was like, but I she the way she put it, it was very nice. She's like, I know who you are. I'm like, OK, thank you. She was like, Colin Coward was here two weeks ago. And it was me. <laughs> I was like, that is unbelievable. She's like, I served him. Now I'm serving you. So I think it was I forget the name of the place but it was the place you recommended. I went there with Danny, with Danny Parkins, who you it's know. It's my yeah.
1: favorite bar in the country. I think it's Maple and Ash.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: I have met the most interesting people there. I think they're going to open one up in Los Angeles, Uh, Chicago. It is. I love it. I can. I got introduced to it late. Um, Vancouver, B.C., L.A., and Chicago. Those are my cities. So
3: Vancouver's I've never been but i've heard it's unbelievable. The one place that i would add that i love, my wife just got back from is New Orleans. Yeah. Um and that just cuz the culture and the food and it's another place with beautiful people but it's a very New Orleans more so than any other city in the country, feels like you're out of the country. You know what i mean? There's it, it, it almost feels like international place. But all these places have their issues, but there's i don't know. I you you got the, um, your defense of Chicago kind of flippantly on your show. Yeah. A uh, few months ago made like that was a big story in Chicago when <laughs> J Mac was like, oh, that place sucks. And you were like, I love it there. I go there all the time. That was a big, that was on Danny's, Danny's radio show in Chicago, <laughs> a big topic. Um, they, it was a, it was a big thing. Um, but yeah, it gets, it's used as a cudgel for, I think, bad actors. Um, but yeah, the I, I don't know that I could live there because the winters are so harsh. But in the spring and the summer in Lake Michigan, oh. pretty unbelievable. It's like having an ocean thing so big. It's pretty great. It's pretty also great.
1: got the best... One of the best looking people under 45 in america because all it's the one place in the midwest to get rich largely so the best looking young men the most confident men and women from all those great universities aspirational Big Ten,
3: people yes they, go. they
1: all go to chicago and you go out yeah. on a friday night and you're like there this is a good looking town <laughs> there are good looking people so everywhere good. in chicago oh my goodness it's so all good. right buddy
3: all right. Hey, I love you. Um, it's great to see you. You, where are you? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, then we'll go. Where are you going this summer? I heard you mention you're going on a yeah, cruise. I'm
1: going to Rhode Island for 10 days at the end of August. And then I'm Beautiful. going on a boat trip with two other couples in a couple of weeks through the Desolation Islands in Vancouver, BC, which is the warmest water north of mexico it's an amazing oh that six day cruise. Awesome. Yeah.
3: that sounds awesome i so i uh taking my wife and kids uh to the caribbean for in a in a week and a half for the family trip and then a thing my wife and i have started doing is when we get our week off in august we take her grandparents who are the most mobile and with it and awesome 90 and 93-year-olds in the world. Um, We took them, well, it's 90 and 92, but the granddad turns 93 here in a few weeks. Pre-pandemic, we took them to Barcelona, went everywhere, the four of us. Post-pandemic last summer, we took them to Rome. And this year, the four of us are flying to Amsterdam, going Amsterdam to Germany, to Belgium, to Paris, driving it. The Me, my wife, and her 90-plus-year-old nonagenarian grandparents who are the our best friends. They're the coolest people. So we've just decided as long as they can do it, they're our travel partners. They're the only couple that likes us enough to travel with us, so they're the people we travel with. Yeah, so that'll be great. Uh, uh, hopefully, I'll be in LA, uh, and we can get together when you're there.
1: All right, buddy. Great talking. All right.
3: Talk to you later. See you.